Uh, we're starting this new series today, and we're going to be talking about the churches in Revelation. I've always kind of found this to be an interesting topic of conversation and, and study in God's Word, but I think there are some things in here that are really pertinent to us as a church right now. Because I don't know if you know this, I'll, I'll like sort of full disclosure here. Um, as a church right now, we're sort of in a season where we're trying to find our footing, I guess you could say. And, you know, we look back over the past few years and, and we haven't necessarily been like bringing the house right down, firing on all cylinders, everything's going like amazingly. Things aren't like terribly, we're about to like shut her down bad or anything like that. Love you guys, like, let's keep doing this. This is really good. But, but we are sort of, we've kind of been, if you get the metaphor, we've been sort of wandering in the desert a little bit. And we're, we're praying and we're trusting and believing that the Lord is leading us out of that. And so this seemed like a really good time to uh, do a study on the church because we have some growing to do as a church. How many of you know we're not a perfect church? That should be all of your hands. I, I've said this before. I had, I had a pastor who used to tell me, we were a perfect church until you showed up, and that ministered to me. So welcome to church. We're glad you're here. So like I say, it's going to be fun. We're going to look at these churches in Revelation. But before we can do that, today we're not going to talk about any particular church. Today we have to talk about something else. We have to actually talk about someone else. Uh, we need to talk about the head of the church, whose name is Jesus Christ. We have to talk about the head of the church before we can really dive in and talk about the things of the church. So today it's all about Jesus, and I'm really looking forward to getting into this text. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. That would be the last book in your Bible, the beginning of it. And we're going to go through eight verses of it today. And we're going to start with number one, obviously. And it, it, it says this to get us into it. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ... So that kind of sets the stage for us right off the hop. This is all about Jesus. The stuff we're going to read reveals, revelation reveals, right? Reveals Jesus. It reveals stuff about him, his character and his nature and his glory. All about Jesus. That's what we're doing today. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So again, right off the hop, it's about Jesus but it's for us, okay? Make that distinction in your mind. It's about Jesus, it's for us, God's people, God's servants. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Now John is the author of the book of Revelation and you might be here and you might say, well Braden, I don't really care who the author of Revelation is. I have a busy life, I have lots going on. Why should I give a rip about who wrote Revelation? Well, I will tell you a little bit about why you should care. John, we'll read verse two actually because that talks about it. Uh, Revelation 1-2 says, John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So we should care about what John thinks because he bore witness to Christ. We, we know about John that he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, right? I think there's like a cheesy VBS song about that. We won't sing it. You're welcome. 
Um, John was one of the 12 disciples. He was also uh, part of sort of the inner circle of the disciples. If you read the Gospels, uh, it talks a lot about how there were three disciples that kind of had special access and privilege and experience, and they were Peter, James, and John. So he's part of the 12. He's kind of part of the inner three. But even with that, uh, if you read, uh, it says a lot about how there was a disciple whom Jesus loved, we historically believe that to be John. So he may have been Jesus' closest earthly friend, okay? And he bore witness to all the things that Jesus did, right? Like, well, not his birth, probably, but um, like, like his, his teachings and his miracles and specific things like his transfiguration and his, and his triumphal entry and his betrayal and arrest and his uh, crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Okay, John saw all of that. So that doesn't make John just a reliable witness. That makes him probably the most reliable witness. And here's an important thing about John as well. Not only did he just see it and write about it, he, he actually lived his life in light of this stuff. John was a strong Jesus follower and he was a prominent leader in the early church. And Here's what I would submit to you about John is that he had a lot of reasons why he like could have thrown in the towel and given up on his faith. How many of you know sometimes following Jesus is difficult? Right? So John did not have like smooth sailing all the way through. We, uh, we, we read in church history outside the Bible that John outlived all the rest of the apostles. Not because they all lived happily ever after and died of you know, old age of natural causes. No, they all got murdered and martyred for their faith. Because they believed in Jesus, they got killed for it. And John, all the while, is like, well, they just killed my closest like, friends, and now I'm probably next, okay? So there's that going on. We also read in, in, in church history outside the Bible that John, this is a little graphic, but John, uh, they tried to boil him alive in oil to eliminate him. The Romans did. But he didn't die. Can you imagine? Like, I mean, you don't have to really go there, but like, he, so he didn't die. So they said, well, we'll exile him then. So they sent him off to basically a rock pile in the middle of the ocean called the island of Patmos by himself. That's actually where he wrote the book of Revelation. Fun fact. My point is this. John had a lot of reasons to give up on his faith. He had a lot of difficulties and hardships, but he remained steadfast and stable in his faith and pursued Jesus all the days of his life. And, and, and that's why we should care about him, okay? Because as far as like on the legit scale, like John is as legit as they come. So when he talks, we should be listening. Verse three in Revelation one says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. So when we hear what God is saying to us, and when we follow it, when we keep it, keep what is written, when we obey, that leads to blessing. Again, that doesn't mean everything will always go awesome for us, but generally speaking, it leads to blessing. And here's a little tidbit for you. I don't know if you know this. As a church, like we want to be positioned for blessing. I don't know if you know that. We do. We want that. Would we rather have blessing or no blessing? Obviously blessing. So we want that. We want it to be counted among the people who keep what is written. And when it says about the time is near, the New Testament, you guys know, often speaks about this, this concept, the time is near, the time is near. This is talking about how Jesus is coming again. How many of you know Jesus is coming again? Good. 
I'd, we'd have to do a different sermon if, I, if not, right? I'd have to throw my notes out. Anyway, Jesus is coming again, and, and the Bible talks about how we don't know when that's going to be. People have predicted, people have failed, people have kind of made fools of themselves. But uh, we don't know when it's going to be, but the Bible tells us it's going to be like suddenly, quickly, like a thief in the night, and we need to be ready for it. So when it says the time is near, basically that's saying that we as the people of God, we need to make sure we're living in light of who Jesus is and the fact that he's coming back again, because it could happen at any point. Okay, we're not just going to live one way and, oh, Jesus is coming back in an hour, so let's get our act together. No, it doesn't work that way. The time is near. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So somebody says, good, this doesn't apply to me, right? I can just click, turn it off. Well, no, you can't, sorry. Plus, you need to stay engaged to stay warm anyway, so you're welcome. Um, here's the thing about this. Though this and, and what we're going to read in the coming weeks, this was written to specific churches in the province of Asia, which we do not live in. Um, Newsflash. Um, though it was written to that specific kind of audience, we believe this is absolutely very much still for us today and, and for all uh, Jesus-following churches today. And a couple of reasons why we know this, I won't go way deep on this, but if you look, it says John to the seven churches in Asia. When you read the Bible, there's a concept in, in, in studying the scripture called numerology. Somebody say numerology. And basically the idea with numerology is this, when, when different numbers appear in the scriptures, they often mean something. It's not just a number that has no meaning. And the number seven, a lot of times what's attributed to the number seven is the idea of uh, completion and wholeness and perfection and totality. And so we kind of get a little bit of a hint in there that this is for the whole church, the complete church not just one church here or there, but for all of us. The other thing I would say is that a lot of the stuff we're gonna read is based on principle, and you will find that these principles are very, very much relevant for today. So we don't believe this is for a church in a time past, this is for us today. And here's what John says, I love this, and you see it on the screen here. Actually, this is what the Lord says to us. It says, grace to you and peace. I love that he starts there. Somebody says, you're just starting? Well, yes, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so here's, here, here's the thing. Jesus, even though, like what we're gonna see in the coming weeks, there were some churches that like had some pretty not good stuff going on. Hey, we might even, we might even look at our own church and realize, oh, there's some stuff we gotta work on. Even in spite of that, and Jesus knows it, even in spite of that, he comes to us with grace and peace, okay, with love for us. Jesus isn't coming at us with a club or like a bat, and he's going to beat us down into submission because you morons, you can't get this right. It's clearly what I'm trying to get you to do, and you're not doing it. No, 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 no. Grace to you and peace. You need to hear this today. Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church. And, and, and this is what he approaches us with, grace and peace. Yes, there's things we need to fix. Yes, there's things we need to do. But first and foremost, he has grace for you. He has grace for me. He has grace for us as the harbor. And he's always calling us deeper, right? He's always calling and inviting us to, to experience more of him and, and to go deeper in relationship with him. That's our heart as a church. We want to go there. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Who does that sound like? 
That sounds like God. That's a designation for God. If you read in the scriptures, like that's, that's clear language of God. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. The seven spirits thing, again, we won't go way deep. It's kind of like, oh, that seems weird. Again, you, you, could, uh, you could make the argument, and a lot of interpreters do make the argument, that that's just a symbolic way of referring to the Holy Spirit. Again, seven, like completion, perfection. We know there's one Holy Spirit. There's not many. There's one Holy Spirit. And he is God. He is one person of the Godhead. So we see uh, uh, from him who was and is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and then in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace from that whole thing. I want you to notice all three members of the Trinity are present there, Father, Spirit, Son. And in a rather unscientific way, I'm gonna tell you that when you're reading your Bible and you see all three members of the Trinity show up in the same place, it means there's something important going on. That's the unscientific way of saying it. So when we see that happening, we need to take note and say, okay, something's going on here. God is speaking to us. We need to be listening. It says, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So Jesus, it's all about Jesus today. Jesus is called the faithful witness. And kind of one aspect of that is that he was faithful to that which God sent him for. Okay, Jesus came to the earth. He took the form of a man and he came to the earth to make atonement, sacrifice for our sins. And he came to show the world the love that God has for each and every person, right? That, that brought to mind a verse like Romans 5, 8. It says, God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, finish it for me. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus complete, uh, faithfully completed that work that he was sent to do. He died on a cross for your sins. He paid for them all. And it says he is the firstborn of the dead. Okay, you're going to get a little stream of consciousness from me, just like that's just kind of how I roll sometimes. When I was going over this this week, all I could picture, this is like small mind, what's wrong with you, Braden? All I could picture is some heavy metal band somewhere calling their band name the firstborn of the dead. That's all I could picture. You're welcome. It's weird. I don't know. That's just, that's where I was at. Anyway, whoop. The firstborn of the dead. So not only did Jesus die, on the cross, but he, but he rose from the grave. Now, because of our sin, okay, you and I, like we're subject to death. We all experience it unless the Lord comes again before that. We all experience physical death. But, and that's because our bodies are subject to a sin nature. But Jesus was without sin, right? So when he died and when he went into the grave, here's like, I'm gonna stop short of this being gross. Here's an analogy for you. So I have, I have a nut allergy. Somebody says that's ironic. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I have a nut allergy, relatively strong one. And if I was to eat like peanut butter, which I have, um, it's not just that my system goes, oh, I don't really prefer this being in here, but I'll tolerate it and I just don't like it. No, it's like, it can't stay there, if you know what I mean. And it goes elsewhere, okay? So again, stream of consciousness. This is what you get, people. So in, in a similar but very thankfully different way, Jesus, like when, he's, when he dies, like the grave has no claim on him. 
Like he, the grave can't hold him because he has no sin. So Jesus rises from death and he was the first, he was the first to do so in a, in a glorified, eternal, everlasting body. You say, well, he raised other people from the dead. Yeah, but they were probably subject to death again. Jesus rises and he will never die again. And he was the first one to do this. That's where firstborn comes from, firstborn of the dead. And the ruler of kings on earth, it says, there's like 10 sermons in one. We won't really go there. But what you need to know is that Jesus is sovereign over all things. That's how I need you to see Jesus this morning. Like sometimes that's hard to remember. Honestly, we're just being honest. Sometimes that's hard to remember like when we see a bunch of craziness going on in the world, like there's natural disasters and there's shootings and there's cruelty and there's injustice and there's poverty and all this stuff. And we say, where is God in all this? Specifically, okay, with this verse, it talks about the ruler of kings on earth. Sometimes we look at like our political leaders, maybe military leaders. Sometimes they're doing the right thing, sometimes they're not. What, what I need you to see is that Jesus is sovereign over all of them. And what I mean by that is, though we sometimes wonder how all, how all this bad stuff is happening, how is our government becoming so corrupt? Like, wow, we're really going down the wrong path here in some ways. There's nothing that any of us can do. There's nothing that any power, principality, ruler can do that Jesus then says, oh, that's out of my reach. That's, you know, that's out of my weight class. I can't do anything about that. There's nothing that can escape his reach. Jesus is sovereign over all things. And we read specifically about like rulers and stuff and, and, and this kind of language. Uh, a verse like Philippians 2.9, it talks about how there will come a day when every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Okay, there's no getting around it. There's no, there's no escaping that. There's no getting out of his reach. He's the ruler of kings on earth. So we need to remember that when it seems like it's going really crazy. But anyway, I want you to start catching on to something, okay? Somebody's like, I don't know where this sermon is going. Well, I'm glad you're here anyway. I want you to start catching on that we're talking about big Jesus here. Big Jesus. This is, this is, this is risen, glorified, exalted, everlasting, ruling, reigning, victorious King Jesus that we're talking about. And I'm going to tell you how to feel, because that's always annoying. This should matter to you if you're a believer. This should matter to you, because I love you, but I'm going to tell you, some of you are quite content with little Jesus, okay? This is the Jesus who, you know, we think we're bigger than, we think we can control him, we sort of keep him at arm's length, at a comfortable distance so he doesn't have to like influence us very much. And, and we like to just focus on the like nice flowery things about him, like his love and his grace and his acceptance of me. And listen, okay, all that stuff is true and it's wonderfully true. Okay, don't hear me wrong. I'm not going crazy theologically here. I'm just saying that sometimes we try to put Jesus in a box, okay? And here's my little Jesus and we have this little thing going. At the very same time, Jesus is also God before time. Jesus is 
the creator. Jesus is the sustainer. Jesus is the provider. Jesus is the word become flesh. He's the crucified and risen savior. He is the everlasting Lord. He is the victorious one. He is the ruling and reigning king above all kings. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who calls us to align every part of our lives to who he is under his authority, under his lordship. This is big Jesus. That's who we need to see when we read this text. Big Jesus. Some of you need to acknowledge big Jesus in your life. We're still in verse five. It says, to him who loves us. So it's just funny, even after I go on a big rip about, you know, he's this, he's great and sovereign and he's preeminent and he's blah, 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 blah. He's still this. And, and in a big way, actually, he is the one who loves us. Yes, you. Like I said already, I'll, I'm just say it again. I'm going to say it a lot more times, so don't get tired of it. Jesus loves his church today. Jesus loves his church and, and yes, God loves every single person in the whole world, absolutely, yes and amen to that. I'm just saying there's a special place and a special privilege and a special access that his people, his children, Christians, believers, his church have to him. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, right? We heard about that in the video earlier. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the only, only means by which we are saved. It's the only means by which we come to God. It's the only way that we are declared righteous. It's the only way that we can have relationship with God. It's the only way that we have our sins forgiven. And the world would teach there are several ways, there are infinite ways. We believe there is one way and his name is Jesus. And we, we, we know that it's not based on our performance or our accolades or our achievements or our own righteousness. It's Jesus and only Jesus. We believe that and we make that declaration and that statement. And what I want you to notice is that it doesn't just say we have forgiveness from sins. It says we have freedom from sins. We've been freed from our sins by his blood. So what you need to know is that as a Christian, because of the person and the work of Jesus, because you have the Holy Spirit in your life, like you, have, you can have freedom from sin, not only forgiveness. How many of you like forgiveness? I'm into forgiveness. Freedom is that and even more, okay? And this isn't just some symbolic, right, philosophical whatever freedom like we're talking about real power from God that can invade our lives in the here and now and give us victory over sin right now he's freed us from our sins by his blood and verse 6 it says and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father so we've talked about this before right Jesus is a king kings have kingdoms and we are part of his kingdom as believers we are part of the rule and the reign of Christ on the earth we get to align ourselves uh, with him we get to serve him do his work testify about our great king this is where the mention of priests comes in right this talk about doing God's work Right? Being in God's presence, doing his work. And I think of a verse like 1 Peter 2.9. It's one of my favorites. It says that we, 
We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This applies to all of us as believers. Not some of us, all of us. So I'll just recap. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So there it is just straight up to him, to Jesus Christ, belongs all the glory, belongs all the honor, all the praise, all the majesty, all the authority, all the hype, all the credit, all of the worship forever and ever and ever. Amen. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Do you believe that today? Yes. He is worthy of our highest praise. He is worthy of our respect. He is worthy of our affection and our attention, our, our devotion. He is worthy for us to align ourselves and center him, center everything else around him in our lives. That's what Jesus is worthy of. That's what Jesus desires to be in your life. And I'm gonna tell you how to feel again. You're welcome. If you're a believer, this should be resonating with you. This should be giving you the butterflies a little bit because this is Jesus. This is our Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King. This is who he is. This is who he is. Behold, verse 7, he is coming with the clouds. I said it already. Jesus is coming back. That's what that means. And the first time he came, right, we celebrated at Christmas, which seems like a long time ago. It was like a month and a few weeks ago. That's kind of weird. Anyway, it doesn't matter. When he came the first time, he came in humility, right? He came as a weak, helpless little baby into a not super prominent family in a, in a nothing town, and he was born in a barn and laid in a manger, okay? Humble circumstances, humble beginnings, and he came to serve us in humility and to give his life for us. That's why Jesus came the first time. When he comes again, my friends, it's gonna look more than a little bit different, okay? When he comes again, he's not coming in humility, but in glory, the full display of power and strength and majesty and pomp and circumstance. That's how he's coming again the second time. And it says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So there are a lot of people, obviously, in the world who don't believe in Jesus. They don't really regard Jesus. Some people deny there is a Jesus. When he comes again, this is what we believe as Christians, when he comes again, every eye will see him. Even the people now who are saying, nope, there is no God, there is no Jesus, whatever. When he comes again, there'll be no mistaking him. There will be no avoiding him. There will be no getting around him. Like you can't just you can't just plug your ears and close your eyes and say, there, he's not here. It's not really happening. Like there's no avoiding. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. This is, this is a little bit of a heavier part, right? The people who will wail are those who don't believe and they will wail in judgment. Because again, for those of us who believe, like that that day that Jesus comes again, that's gonna be a good day for us, okay? And we want more and more people to be able to say that. Hey, when Jesus comes, that's gonna be a good day for me. Like we want obviously to tell more people about him, more people get saved. That's, that's obviously central to our mission. But when he comes again, 
says all the tribes of the earth will wail. In other words, I'll just, I'll just say it. I won't beat around the bush. I'll just say it straight up. When you believe in Jesus, accept Jesus, belong to Jesus, you are saved. And when this day comes, right, you'll go to be with him forever. If you don't believe in Jesus, friend, you're not saved. You're not safe. And when Jesus comes again, it will not be a good time for you. That's why it's important while we have the time, while today is still today, to accept Jesus, to believe in him, trust in him for salvation. If you haven't done that today, maybe today's your day, come talk to me later. Talk to someone who, who you came with or someone, as I always say, someone who looks like they know what's going on, okay? They'll point you in the right direction. Now, I know that's like, oh, that's kind of a downer, but it's too important to just gloss over. But it says, even so, amen. So even though, okay, Lord, that's kind of tough for me to hear, hey, our heart should be, God, let your purposes come to pass. Let your plan come to fruition. Even so, amen. One more verse to do today. It's verse eight. It says, I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. Now there's a little bit of Greek in there. I don't speak Greek. But what I do know is that Alpha and Omega are the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. So when it says Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, he's the beginning and the end. He was there in the beginning, even before creation, he's there in the end. But he's not only there, it says he is the beginning, and he is the end, and he is everything in between. One of my favorite chapters in scripture is Colossians 1, and in there it says about all things. How many things? All things were made through him and for him, him being Jesus, a.k.a. he's the center of it all. And it says, it says I think it's Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, he's central. We can't just put him to the periphery. Big Jesus is in the middle. Big Jesus sits on the throne. Big Jesus is the reason for everything. Big Jesus is what history is barreling toward, what this life culminates in. He's the chief end of all things. He's the center of it all. He's the almighty. So if for some reason there was any doubt as to who Jesus is, like it just spells it out right there. He's the almighty. He's the creator God. He is the author of life. He is the provider and sustainer of all things, the all-powerful one. He's the almighty. My friends, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Please don't miss that. Here's what I want to do. I got a few minutes left. I want everybody to take a deep breath, first of all. One more for fun. With gusto. <laughs> Oh dear. I love you guys. Honestly, it's, this, is, this is a privilege to do this. So here's my point. Like, here's my point in saying all of this so far today. That, that's like a glimpse of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's like a bit of a, an exhibit on who he is. And the, the revelation of Jesus Christ leads us to response, okay? Right? We must respond to, to, to what we hear about Jesus. Even if we say, I'm just not going to do anything. I'll, you know, find a loophole. That's still responding and responding in not a very good way. And, and, and what I'm trying to kind of do today, I want to funnel us into one specific kind of response here. And it's this. I want, 
each of us, I want each of us to examine our hearts, examine our lives, examine our works, examine ourselves in hopes of determining where you might be with Jesus today. Because here's the thing, you say, well, that, I don't know about that. It's so easy to go on autopilot. Oh, I got saved 20 years ago, I'm doing great. And we don't think about it. And usually that's a sign that, oh, we're, we're probably actually coasting a little bit and drifting, we're probably actually not where we thought we were. So this is an individual exercise. This is not something that I can turn to you and say, here's where you are with Jesus. That's largely between you and him. But what I want to do, and, and, and this is kind of the way we're going to kind of come in on this today, is, is we're going to intentionally and honestly like take some time to, to do a little bit of this soul searching. Like while we're gathered here, while we're worshiping corporately, that's what we're going to do. And, and I'm, in cha I'm challenging us to do this today, to not go on autopilot, because again, this is, this, is, this is the head of the church we're talking about. So all this stuff we're going to talk about about the church, listen, listen, our church is going to rise or fall depending on what we do with the news and the information about Jesus. Like we get that wrong, we're going nowhere. We get that right, God will do things in and through our church that we have never experienced or seen before, honestly. So Jesus is, is, is of utmost and first priority. So, so here, here's what I wanna say. And you guys, just so you know my heart, like I love you, I'm your pastor, I, I, I want what's good for you, I want what's good for our church. So when I say some of the following, I don't want you to like get the brass knuckles on and come after me. I might be able to outrun you, I don't know, but anyway, let's not go there. Um, I just have a couple of observations I want to make about our church. And, and again, before I say them, you need to know that I cannot look at you and say, I know your heart, I know your heart, I definitely know your heart, I know what's in it, and here's where you are. I can't do that, I can't say that, I'm not qualified to make that statement. All I, all I would like to say is, um, based on observing there are a few trends I've observed. And so we're good, we're good on that? Everybody's good? Okay, I'm going on anyway, doesn't matter. No, it's good. There, so, so, so some of you guys, uh, some of you guys love and serve and, and work for and are really into Jesus. I, I believe there is a demographic of people in our church who that very much applies to. And, and again, not because I can see in your heart, but because I'm examining the fruit that's growing on the tree, so to speak. And I've gone on and on about that at other times. But when I, when I look around at our church and I see some of you guys, hey, it looks like there's a heart of openness and, and, and tenderness and affection for God and, and, and a desire to do his will and to do his work. And, and, and an interest in growing, and I see that happening in some of you guys, and it's wonderful, it's amazing. And just so I don't talk you up too much, like, you don't always get it right, right? There's still growing for all of us to do, but I'm just saying that generally speaking, some of you guys, you're right on that trajectory. You're, you're, you're growing from glory to glory into the likeness of Christ, and if you, when you examine yourself, starting today, if you come to find that, hey, I think this is where I am, I think that kind of describes me, here's what I would say. Keep going, keep growing, that's awesome, that's wonderful. Keep pressing in for more of the Lord, keep doing what he asked you to do, keep uh, hanging out and sharing with your brothers and sisters and helping them grow, it's wonderful. 
and praise be to the Lord for that. That's wonderful. I, I truly believe there are, there are, and I won't put a number on it, but there are some in our church who that absolutely applies to. Absolutely. Then we sort of get to the other end of the spectrum. Here's where the brass knuckles come on, right? Though I can't sit here and say, here's where you're at, I don't think you love Jesus. I can't say that. Again, as I observe our church, I fear that there are some of us who don't really give much of a rep about him. Again, by, by examining the fruit that is visible on the tree, I, I, I so, so love you guys. So I have no pleasure in saying it like, or anything like that, but I'm just saying on some of the trees, there's, there's no fruit or there's not very good fruit. Some of you, for instance, it could look like any number or combination of these things. It's just for example, there's, there's deliberate, ongoing sin and, and refusal to repent of it. There's kind of a general closed-offedness about you. Um, there's a stubbornness and, and a hard kind of heartedness. And I've had conversations with some of you guys where the, the, the strong impression that I get is like, wow, this person has about as much desire to love and follow and serve and do the work of, of the Lord Jesus as they do like to go to the dentist and get a tooth pulled without freezing, Okay. And, 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 and as far as like the inputs go, like the things that we can do to help us grow in our faith, reading your Bible, well, never do that. And you, you never pray, like ever. You never, you never seek the Lord. You're not trying to grow. You're just sort of whatever, distant from him. And you might say, well, I come to church once in a while, like I showed up today. Yes, okay, that's really good. That's really good. But it's not all about coming to church. The one hour on Sunday, guys. If you, and again, like I'm not trying to bring the hammer down on you. I'm just saying if you, if you examine your heart, no, it's kind of heavy. If you examine your heart and you find, wow, that is where I'm at. I am not in a good place with the Lord right now. Haven't been seeking, haven't been following, haven't been, haven't been worshiping, haven't been invested or interested in Jesus at all. Here, here's what I want to tell you. You can repent. You can turn it around. You can ask God for help. God loves you. God wants you to be in for him. He wants you to be fired up for him. And, and the life lived in and with and close to Christ is the best life you could ever live. God will help you with that, okay? I'm not condemning you. There's no condemnation for you. I'm saying God has more and he has better for you. So that would be my encouragement to you. And if you need someone to pray with you and help you with that, great, I'm happy to do that. Finally, here's what I'll leave you with. I've yacked on for long enough. Here's what I'll leave you with. There's also a sort of another thing going on. There's, there's the sort of middle ground, right? The shade's gray. And, and this, kind of, this kind of nature is a little harder to pinpoint or, or diagnose, but it, it kind of can look like this. For some of you, there's sort of an interest in God. There's sort of an interest in seeking him, but eh, I'm not like super interested, right? Um, for some of you, maybe God's not your center, but you couldn't imagine just ditching him altogether, right? For some of you, it might look like, it might look like 
you know, there's a little bit of interest in doing God's will and, and pursuing him. And you've thought maybe a little bit about, hey, how can I get involved? How can I use my gifts for the Lord? But there's like, you know, kind of a reluctance to really jump in and do that. Maybe it's, uh, you know, oh, I try to read my Bible and help myself kind of grow a little bit, but sometimes I forget. Or I try to pray, but I usually fall asleep because it's at the end of the day. Or, or, you know, I try to like hang out with my brothers and sisters in Christ, but my calendar is really busy, so I don't really have time for that. Things like that. And here's, here's my encouragement to you, is if you examine your heart and you find that this is where you are, uh, here's what I would say. Get out of the middle. Get out of the middle. As long as you are in that kind of middle ground where it just seems safe and secure and Jesus is at arm's length and I'll, I'll reach in and I'll have a little bit of him when I want, but I don't have to. I'm kind of just like straddling the fence. As long as you do that, you're, you're settling. You're settling for mediocrity in your faith. You're settling for mediocrity in the relationship that God wants to have with you. You're settling in for mediocrity in how effective you can be for the Lord and his kingdom and, and your church. And your faith will never really be all that lit up or inspiring. So I'm saying, get out of the middle. I'm almost done. What I want us to do, the band's gonna come up and um, they're, gonna, they're gonna play just quietly. And I seriously, right in this moment, while we're here together, I want us to begin this process of self-examination, okay? I want you to look and, and consider and pray and reflect on kind of where you're at with Jesus today. And uh, I don't want you to, I don't want you to be on your phone. I don't want you to be vacant or elsewhere. I don't want you to like leave, like I don't want you to whatever. This is, I, I, what I would love for you to do is to stay in your chair and just like you can close your eyes or whatever you want to do. And I want you to, to go to the Lord and I want you to think on this stuff and I want you to pray on this stuff. And not just today. I don't want you to just do this today. We're going to do this ongoing. Do this through the week. Lord, where am I at right now in my relationship with you? What are you asking for me to do? How can I grow in you? Where am I? I want us to do this as a church because again, our church is going to rise or fall based on what we do with the person and the work and the relationship with Jesus. So it's all about Jesus and we're gonna go to him now. In a few minutes, again, let's just stay in our chairs. In a few minutes, I'll, I'll wrap up and pray for us. Um, but I really just encourage you to take some time and intentionally press in. So are we good? Let's do that and uh, we'll regroup here in a couple of minutes.